Folks, it would be good if you had open that first Peter uh, passage. Not that we're going to look at it in any great detail today, but we are going to notice some things in first Peter uh, a little bit later. So ha- have that open before you. First Peter's uh, on page 1217 there in the Bible in the pew. Let me pray. Father God, we've just been singing here, uh, praying that your fragrance would be in this place and in your church and in our lives. Lord, we're conscious that that often simply isn't the case, that our lives show little of your character and your love. Lord, we we need your grace and your kindness. We need your transforming work in us. And we know one of the ways in which you do that most of all is by, by speaking to us in your word, showing us what's on your heart, and Lord, your spirit, making that live in our lives. So Lord, come and, come and use these few moments of, of hearing your voice and thinking on it to bring transformation for us. Amen. You'll notice a slide on the screen here behind me this morning, and we've called a a series that we're going to be thinking about for the next few weeks, Everyday Church. It's a series that will begin properly, I think, next week, uh, and I'll come back to that in in a moment. This September, if you've been around, you'll know that we've taken, uh, we're taking three weeks to unpack a phrase, um, we've been talking about whole life missional disciples. That's describing the kind of people that we want to be here in Kirkpatrick Memorial and the kind of people we want to grow in this community. So we began a fortnight ago and we looked first of all at the word disciple and we noticed a couple of things in Matthew's gospel that Jesus wants disciples and that he wants his disciples to make disciples. Um, that's, That's what we noticed. Last week, we noticed uh, a second adjective, or uh, sorry, a first adjective there, the word missional, uh, that helps us think a little bit more about the character of disciples of Jesus. We just thought about some of the the key verses where Jesus describes his disciples as the light of the world. He tells them that they're to live lives before a watching world that would be attractive and would draw others to God. And we realized that actually this has always been the calling on the people of God, even through the Old Testament and right the way through. So Jesus' followers have a mission. They're missional disciples. This morning, I want to spend the the rest of our time thinking uh, about the last part of this phrase, uh, and that's the, the whole life bit. If you've been paying attention the last few weeks and you've heard us Uh, speaking about some of the uh, transition that we're going through as a church, Um, you'll know that we're growing in a vision of the church becoming a network of of small groups uh, where people are discipled and and sharing life together. We want the members of our, our church to share their lives together, but also to share their life beyond the group. 
uh, with others in the community around them. And that means a few shifts uh, from where you might imagine a church would be. It means that we're not only interested in Sundays, but also in Monday to Saturday. And it means that we're not only interested in stuff that happens in the church, but in stuff that happens in neighborhoods and in workplaces and in gyms and in the pub, wherever our people are, we're interested to know what Jesus is doing in them and through them there. So we're looking for the ways in which our everyday lives connect with the everyday lives of other people. So we increasingly want to become an everyday church. Why? (laughs) Why is that important? Why would we bother making such a fundamental shift? Why would a growing church like this one be interested in what's happening beyond the church and in people's lives and neighborhoods? Why wouldn't we just focus on making sure that this is working as well as it possibly can? That every part of our church life is as excellent as it can possibly be. Isn't that the best thing that a church like this could be doing? Better buildings, better programs, better staff team, better minister. Isn't that what we should be focusing on? Isn't that how you become a healthier church? Let me take a moment to explain why that doesn't seem to, to me to be making much sense anymore. Uh, the reason, the main reason that the church needs to become an everyday church is that Britain has given up on going to church. If you wind back 150 years, a quarter of the British population went to church on a given Sunday. So that's the, the gray part in that pie chart. Okay, so if you imagine there was a time when everybody was going to church, that's simply not the case. 150 years ago, a quarter of people were going to church. A few years ago, um, that figure of a quarter had dropped down to 10%. Um, so that's quite a drop. And I suppose the, the interesting thing is just how, how small that piece of the pie is and how big the other piece of the pie is. And if we wind on a few years, the estimates are that by 2020, um, it might be as little as 5% of the UK population that's regularly going to church. That's the UK. You might say, we know it's different in Northern Ireland. We know it's different in Belfast. So uh, why would we concern ourselves with these statistics? Let me tell you some local statistics then. When I first came to East Belfast, uh, the first record I have, round about uh, the time I arrived here, in 2001, the record shows that we had nearly 11,000 families. That's how we count in our Presbyterian statistics. There were 11,000 families in East Belfast. Already by 2012, the record shows that we've dropped in the middle column there, the yellow one, to 7,500 families. And if that trend continues, which I 
entirely expected to, because if you go to a lot of East Belfast Presbyterian churches this morning, you'll find them full of predominantly older people. If that trend continues, we'll be down at the five or 6,000 mark in the early 2020s. What we're saying is that Presbyterianism in East Belfast, the part of this city that's most conducive probably to, to Presbyterian church, will have halved in 20 years. One last statistic, and a sobering one, and we'll use this as a bit of a peg to hang some of our thinking on. A 2007 tier fund report found that almost 70% of the population of the UK have no intention of ever coming to church at any point in their future. 70% aren't coming. Think about that for a second and what that might mean It means new forms of worship aren't going to reach them. A few years ago, churches put in PowerPoint screens as if we'd have queues of people outside dying to get in to watch our, I was going to say rubbish PowerPoint presentation. Sam did this one for me. That's why it's better than usual. New ways of doing church aren't going to interest them. They're not coming to the next Alpha or Christianity Explored. It doesn't matter who the preacher is. We can put a poster up on the Newtonards Road to say that Tim Keller is preaching next week and John Piper the week after, and the only people who'll show up are churchy people because other people will say, Tim who? John, what's his face? They aren't interested. They don't know. They're not coming doesn't matter what kind of a band we put on, whether we meet in a warehouse or in a pub or whatever quirky new venue we find, they're not coming. It's not a case of improving the product. The most that that will ever do for us is steal a few people from some other churches and bring them here. We need to meet people in a different way. Apart from our meetings and our events, Folks, just in case uh, it, it hasn't dawned on you, let me tell you that the church is being pushed from a place that it once had at the center of our society very, very quickly to the margins. We're living in a post Christian culture. And while most Christians recognize that that's true, the problem is we still keep doing church in roughly the same way. We still approach evangelism in the same way. We expect people to show up when we ring the church bell or put on some event and put some posters up. They're not coming. They're not, they're not going to come. Changing what we do as a church isn't going to bring them because we need to meet them first in the context of everyday life. That's what we're thinking about when we say that we want to be whole life or everyday Christians. We want to be an everyday church. We're less interested in creating attractional events 
and much more interested in creating attractional communities. One last thing before we come to see what God's word has to say about all this. We're not planning to throw the baby out with the bath water here. While I've been talking this last few weeks about a network of small groups that we've just birthed, we're going to keep thinking hard about this gathering, our large gatherings in the central church and how they can serve God's purposes better. Think about it for a second. That big door that most of you came in through this morning, that big door here in Kirkpatrick Memorial sees a lot of traffic. For one reason or another, God brings a lot of people through that door and into our worshiping community here. We want to celebrate that. We want to keep thinking about how we can uh, better be encouraging people here, equipping them and discipling them, those who come through that front door. But remember, only 30% of the population will ever make that journey. We're going to keep the front door open, hopefully open it wider than ever. But what we're talking about here is opening the back door as well. Or the back doors. Or maybe a few windows. Or any other way that people could come and find their place in the family of God. It doesn't have to be that your first encounter is to walk through the front door on a Sunday morning. As Christianity declines in its numerical strength and we find ourselves pushed to the margins of society, there's a really lovely byproduct to what seems like a very difficult phase for the church. We're reconnecting with our roots. We're getting closer to the experience of the earliest Christians that we read about in the New Testament. I don't know if you know that. The letters of the New Testament were written to Christians living in the margins of their society. It was to encourage small groups of believers scattered throughout the Roman Empire. We're going to look at one of these letters for the rest of the the autumn together, the next couple of months, the the letter of 1 Peter. And, And that's why I've asked you to have it open before you this morning. What you've got to understand about everything that we read that Peter says is that it's not written to influential megachurches. It's not even written to a community the size of this. I don't think there'll be a single community as big as this one in in the whole of the audience that Peter's addressing with his letter. Look at how he addresses them in the opening verses of the letter. He says, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus Galatia, and so on. They're strangers and they're scattered. These are small communities of Jesus' followers scattered all around the empire. As we read on, we discover that they're facing opposition. That's a real theme, and I'll not exhaust it now. Peter talks about their trials. He talks about their sufferings. Smaller communities of people who are starting to feel opposition starting to sound a little bit like what it might be like to be a Christian in the UK if current trends continue. What approach does Peter take with them? How does he encourage these tiny, powerless communities to take God's gospel to the world? Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. 
He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits you. I love this because I think it's quite honest as well as a deeply theological. It's an honest assessment of the situation and a deeply theological command. The honest assessment is this. Peter recognizes that Jesus' followers in a pagan culture are being accused of doing wrong. 30 years ago, I don't think that was the case in Britain. But it is today. Britain is increasingly becoming suspicious of committed Christians who submit themselves to the authority of the Bible and who try to live for God's glory. Whether it's offering to say prayers with a patient, whether it's wearing a cross around your neck in the workplace, whether it's refusing to register a same-sex marriage, Christians are increasingly being accused of doing wrong, of being intolerant. We're being accused by the culture that we live in. In this culture, in this time, Peter urges the Christians to live such good lives that the people around us will see your good deeds and glorify God in the day that he visits. Peter's basically saying this, the culture doesn't understand you because it doesn't understand God. Don't worry about that. Get on with living the life that God's called you to live among them. Follow Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit and the beauty of your words and your actions will bring people to God. So Peter's approach here is very realistic. He understands that we, we live in an opposing culture, but I'd suggest here that it's deeply theological. And what I mean by that is that he's standing right in the mainstream of the Bible's teaching about how God's people are to live. Last week, we read Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do you see what Peter's done here? He's done a sneaky wee lift from Jesus' own teaching. He's passing on the same deeply biblical vision which Jesus had shared with him years before on a Galilean hillside. How do you reach the world? You live attractive lives before them that they then are drawn to your God. Peter develops that theme right throughout uh, the book. Ordinary everyday Christians living ordinary everyday lives in ways that impact their neighbors for God. In chapter 3, this is quite a famous verse in 1 Peter, he gives us a vision of, of what might happen if we actually live in this way. Look at verse 15 of chapter 3. He says, In your heart set apart, apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Peter is saying that when we live godly lives before our neighbors and our colleagues and our friends, we can expect over time to arouse their curiosity. 
We have a hope, he says, that marks us out as different. Perhaps for some, it it highlights the lack of hope that they might have as they face the trials in their lives. Regardless of exactly what form this might take, Peter encourages Christians to believe that, that their lives would provoke the interest of those around them. Conversations will begin to flow. Do you think that's been the case in Ulster in recent times? Has the church done well at provoking the interest of people beyond its own borders? Let me just try to draw things together here. Everything I've said this morning might sound like old hat to you, and the reason for that is that so many of you are already living this way. You're being good neighbors and colleagues and family members. You're doing that in increasingly hostile situations. You're bearing witness to Christ in a context of your everyday lives. A lot of you do this. I know that. So please don't hear me undermine any of of the way in which you already live in that regard. I don't want to undermine that at all. I want to celebrate it. And I want to mainstream it. And I want to bring everyday Christian living and witness back into the center of our church. If we can grow in this area together, if we can be clearer that this is our calling to live for God where we are, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our homes, we can make that more a part of the story of our church here. We're talking about moving maybe from being everyday Christians, which many of you already are, to being an everyday church, which will encourage and support you in that mission. I want to close this morning by encouraging you. I had a lovely experience this week in a most unlikely place. I was over at the post office on Prince Regent Road. Do you know that place? It's the place you have to go with your red card when the postman has been and the parcel didn't fit through the door. Oh, man, I, I hate that place. I... Every time I go over there, I'm grumpy. This is one of my, this is not a good place for me. I was thinking, here's, here's the story in my mind as I'm driving around. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this is such a waste of my time. Why can't they just leave it with a neighbor? Why can't the post office work out a way to do this? It's no wonder they're going to be sold off soon. This isn't a good place for me. One time I went over there and... I went to pick up something, didn't know what it was. I was handed uh, an envelope, and it was said, if you want it, you'll have to pay. Turned out that whoever had sent it to me had underpaid their postage. So I had to pay for it. I didn't know what it was. And when I got it and opened it, it was marketing that I didn't want. So Prince Regent Road's not a good place for me. I'm quite grumpy over there. So I was over there, I wasn't at my best, I gave him my card, and when he came back, he said to me, how's it going in the church? I, was, um, I had a look, and I thought, well, I don't recognize this guy from church, 
And if we look at the parcel, the Amazon parcel was addressed to Mr. C. Ebbinghouse, so that didn't give any clues that I was a minister. I, I said, I'm sorry, how do you know that I'm a minister? Oh, I know some people who go to your church. I know a lot of people who have been drawn into that community and closer to God in recent times. I was quite humbled because, as I say, I was there quite grumpy. I wasn't in a positive frame of mind. So I said, thank you. Thanks for your encouragement and turned to walk away. And just as I turned to walk away, he said this. It's lovely when the fragrance goes out into the community. Folks, that's what this is all about. It's to get people in post offices and in Tesco's and in workplaces and in neighborhoods saying, smelt something, something beautiful. There's something going on. It's lovely when the fragrance goes out into the community. Let's pray. Father God, we want to pause for a moment to celebrate what we have just heard told back to us by somebody beyond our community. That in some small but real way, the presence of Jesus in this place is recognized by people beyond us. The presence of Jesus in our community, in our everyday lives, as we live them out nearby, Lord, it's starting to, to shine. It's starting to be noticed. Lord, when we look at your word here, we see that this is absolutely what you would have us be and how you'd have us live. So Lord, we're standing on solid ground here when we pray. Lord, could you please turn the light brighter? Could you please extend the fragrance from this place? Not for us. Not for Kirkpatrick Memorial. But so that people find Jesus so that their lives are touched and then changed in a transforming encounter with him Lord help us to be the kind of church that you want us to be we pray that in Jesus name Amen